Welcome to CFO 4.0, the future of finance. The CFO role is changing rapidly, moving from cost controller to strategic visionary. And with every change comes opportunity. We are here to help you take advantage of this transition to win at work, drive your career forwards and lead with confidence. Join Hannah Monroe, Managing Director of ITAS, a financial transformation consultancy, as she interviews key experts to give you real-world advice and guidance on how to transform your processes, people and data. Welcome to CFO 4.0, the future of finance. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of CFO 4.0. And I want, firstly, I want to say thank you to everyone. Um, I'm really excited to see that we've um, passed the 4,500 downloads mark, which is very exciting for us. And we've had some great comments and some great messages from all of our listeners. So firstly, I want to say thank you so much for listening and continue to listen and for recommending it to others. And um, secondly, for all those who've sent through ideas for um, topics and subjects, keep them coming. Um, I've got some great guests lined up. And uh, talking of great guests, with me today is one of my favourites, Jack. So Jack is the um, president of the CFO Leadership Council, but the reason he's on today is actually talk about his new book, The Psychopathic CEO, The Executive Survival Guide. So thanks, Jack. It's great to have you back on the show. Great to be here. And uh, congratulations on 4,500 downloads. And I, uh, I looked into doing a podcast myself and... That's an impressive number. There's not a lot of people that do it certainly as quickly as you. So kudos to you. But I'll say I'm not surprised because you put together a great show. Oh, thanks, Jack. And it's, but to be fair, I will say it's all down to our guests. And, um, you know, we've had some great feedback on some of your earlier sessions as well. So thank you again for coming back on. Um, and I'm really interested to talk about your new book. What, what a concept. So talk to me about, tell, tell me what motivated you to sort of come up with this topic in this book. Well, I went, we actually had a program at one of, one of our events, this was a couple of years ago, called The Psychopathic CEO. And the speaker was an FBI agent. And she was describing the traits of a psychopathic CEO. And I had kind of a eureka moment. I said, oh, my God, I won't say who, because uh, he's still around. But uh, he, he was a psychopath. He checks all of these boxes. I actually worked for a psychopath. You know, I just thought he was a jerk and a crook. Um, but then, you know, she said by a show of hands, how many people do you think, uh, work, how many of you think you may have worked for a psychopath in your career? And, uh, almost half the people raised their hand. And this was a room full of chief financial officers and like, oh my God, this is a really big problem. So I started looking into it and talking to some of the members and I realized, you know, if I could write a book, I might be able to actually help some, some executives survive working for a psychopath. So what is the definition of a psychopath? Like, how do you actually define or figure out whether somebody is one? Yeah, it's um, it's one of those things like being a psychopath is not equivalent to, say, being diabetic, where there's a, a hardcore definition. There are personality tests that you can take, uh, whatnot, and, you know, there's a series of questions you can ask. But someone like you or I, we're not really, you know, qualified to diagnose whether or not someone's a psychopath. You know, even if you take the test, you you might get some of them wrong. Um, but you know, I, I think there's sort of some things you can look for. One is they they tend to have some very superficial charm to them. It's it's all surface level charm. They're very manipulative. They're um, 
they're very likable, but they're doing it in a way they're essentially playing a character and they're trying to make you like the character rather than him and or her. But I say him because something like 90 percent of psychopaths are believed to be males. So, um, yeah, it's a strange phenomenon. But uh, but yeah, they so they, they tend to be, you know, the thing you want to look for is they're manipulative. They're superficially charming and they're thrill seekers and they're extremely optimistic. They'll they'll stab their best friend in the back because they don't actually like their best friend very much. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of vanity, a lot of egotism, and they think things should happen to benefit them and for no other reason. But it's difficult to say because a lot of them are really smart and certainly the ones who become CEOs and they themselves have access you know, to the same checklist and whatnot. And and they uh, modify their behavior accordingly. So they're, they're a very dangerous opponent to have because a lot of times you don't even know that they are your opponent until it's too late. And for C, you know, for CFOs generally, that CEO position, finding the right person to work with is critical to not only obviously the success within that role, but also your future career progression. So, so what sort of impact, um, can, can, um, it, it have having a psychopathic CEO on, on, a, you know, on an individual in that kind of role? You know, it's an interesting thing because like not all psychopaths are necessarily evil. And in fact, there are some psychopaths or people at least who display traits of psychopathy that you might uh, consider working for. Uh, Steve Jobs is believed to have been a psychopath, right? Uh, you know, you know, one of the great innovators, uh, you know, he, he made technology that improved the world. But a lot of people that have worked for him and, you know, who have described him, classic traits of psycho- psychopathy. Uh, just, you know, a much of, you know, chewing people out in public for no particular reason. And he's done it in investor presentations, you know, very publicly. I don't mean just at company meetings, but he, he's done it in front of the world. But, you know, he he just had some odd traits. Like one of the things he did, for example, to relax, um, he would take his shoes off and soak them in public bathrooms, in the toilets. Can you imagine such a thing? Yeah, you're looking at me. It's 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 too bad this is only an audio thing. Yeah, when I when I tell <laughs> we people, might have I, to I, I think the I video of the, 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 the weird expression <laughs> on my face. Yeah, the, the look on your face was priceless. It's a shame your audience won't get to see that one. But yeah, I, I tell people that like, oh, I heard you wrong. What did you say? But no, you, you that's he actually literally would take his shoes off at the office and soak his feet in in the toilet. Um, but, you know, that, that's like a, a very strange thing to do. I mean, they're, you know, not every psychopath does stuff like that. But he was a very different man. And a, a lot of people think that, you know, part of it made him successful, you know, that he was psychopathic and he could make quick decisions uh, mercilessly and be very successful because of that. On the other hand, um, like Harvey Weinstein from the, the movie producer, you know, he's another psychopath and he could ruin your career. But it's an interesting thing because like he was a brilliant movie producer and this is a guy he actually wrote into his employment contract basically that if he sexually harassed women he could get out of it by paying a fine so he guaranteed in advance that he could definitively harass women and keep his job as long as he would pay like the legal bills out of his own pocket and you know you're like yeah that's that's sort of the right reaction like oh my god right but you know, think about it. You know, the board of directors, he was the CEO of a public company, I believe. So certainly he was the CEO of the company. They had an independent board of directors. They approved it. Probably the chief financial chief financial officer and the chief human resources officer knew about it. 
And probably the company's lawyers actually wrote the agreement up, right? Can you imagine being like a first-year law student or a first-year law graduate, and you're writing this crazy employment contract up that basically empowers somebody to sexually harass his coworkers without punishment? But uh, Harvey was charming in his own way. He was extremely good at his job, and people were making a lot of money with him. And so nobody really challenged him a little bit. You, you know, nobody, somebody probably should have said, no, this is wrong. You can't do it. But, you know, people are getting wealthy. They love being part of, you know, he made great movies, uh, you know, Shakespeare in the Park and, and some other great runs. I'm not the biggest movie buff in the world. And people didn't walk the, want to rock the boat because they were making important art and they were making money. So why rock the boat? But, you know, as a CFO, you could say, well, that wouldn't have happened if I were there. But you know, they probably had one of the best CFOs in the world working there, and that person didn't do anything to stop it. I think that's an interesting piece, isn't it? It's, it's very mm-hmm. easy to step back and say what you would do in a situation, but you're until you're in that situation, that's, you know, you can never tell until you're in that same exact scenario, you know, with mm-hmm. your back against the wall. It's a very, that's a very hard call to make, to be fair. I'd like to think that everyone would, um, and somebody would call it out. And it, I've, that is amazing that he got away with putting that in a contract and it hasn't been flagged earlier. That is insane. So- yeah, I mean, it, it, the, no one resigned from the board in protest. And, you know, ultimately they paid a price, but, you know, he was doing it for quite a while, right? I mean, you know, he had the, the, the studio that was named for him and his brother, and then he was with Miramax before. I mean, he, he had a pretty lengthy career, and if, if he were just sort of like a normal person, you know, he would be remembered amongst the great film producers in history. Uh, you know, he'd be a notch below Steven Spielberg, and he'd be right there with Woody Allen and some other people, but, you know, he was a common criminal. So, on the other hand, like Elizabeth Holmes um, from Theranos, if you know that, and um, like her, relatively early in the game, her CFO challenged her on a lot of the assumptions in the financial model and the viability of it. So she just fired him and she never hired a CFO again. But, you know, this guy did the right thing, right? I mean, but he was apparently the only person that ever challenged her. And she's a classic psychopath, right? Because she was, um, she had, for those who may not know, the Renos had a blood testing, non-invasive blood testing kit. And it, it fundamentally never worked. But she actually, at one point, had a net worth herself of $7 billion. And she was allowing people to take this blood test knowing it wasn't work. So people were getting false positives and false negatives. And she simply didn't care. She let it continue for years. And it wasn't until she was caught that they finally stopped doing it. But she was a classic because what makes these psychopaths so dangerous is they're very likable and they're very believable. Um, Some of the people that she uh, influenced some of the great people in the United States, uh, the, the Clintons, she, uh, both of them were backers of hers. Both of both Michelle and Barack Obama were backers. Um, there was a secretary of state, George Schultz. He was the secretary of state under pre- the first president Bush. And he was also a backer and his grandson worked there. And when he, and he was on the board of directors, he went to uh, secretary Schultz and explained what was going on. And he said, Every generation has one great thinker. Elizabeth Holmes is the Sir Isaac Newton of this generation. How dare you accuse her? And he actually sided with Elizabeth Holmes over his own grandson. And, you know, his grandson ultimately was proven right. Um, But, you know, they uh, 
they work very hard to seem very believable. So, And it's interesting because when you think about the word psychopathic, you, you do think of um, acts murderers and, tr- you know, what, what I would say truly evil people. But actually, you're mentioning some really big names there, people that, you know, you, you wouldn't necessarily associate with the word psychopath. Well, maybe, um, you know, maybe a couple of them you might consider it. Yeah. But are there any others that are sort of in, in mainstream that we might not, you know, associate with the word psychopath? Yeah. Um, and a, a lot of them are more narcissist, which is kind of a cousin of a psychopath. One of the big differences between a narcissist and a psychopath is that a narcissist can actually feel guilt and shame and embarrassment. Um, but a medical person wouldn't like it, but I, I, if I'm lumping them together, it's because the behavior is often the same and the impact of the behavior is the same. But um, a you know one who might fit into that, Adam Newman of WeWork, if you mm-hmm. know that, did, did, are they over in London? Yeah, so yeah. I think he was originally from Soho, or certainly he did a you know he spent a lot of time there. To be fair, and I was yeah. actually wondering, given the Elizabeth Theranos story, yeah. whether. He's one as well because he's he's got an incredible follow, or he did have an incredible following within his team, didn't he? Um, yeah, and a lot it, of people it, believed him. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy. Um, you, you know, the company at one point was worth fifty-seven billion, despite really not having a, a profitable business model. But aside from that, um, he wanted to be the world's world's first trillionaire with a T. Uh, he wanted to colonize Mars. He wanted to be the first person to live forever. And by the way, be president of the earth, not the United States. He wanted to be president of the entire planet. And like you wonder, how could this guy not have been laughed out of the room? Because he said these things publicly, not privately. And, you know, why weren't people, you know, why didn't the board say, dude, you know, settle down? You know, you're probably not going to be president of the earth and, and be a trillionaire. But he did it publicly and he got away from it. But, you know, if you want to go on YouTube at some point and and check him out, very rare will you find a more likable, charismatic guy than him. But he's he's probably not a psychopath as much as he is a narcissist, I think, because, you know, he seems like a a decent family man. You know, he has, I think, five or six kids. By all accounts, he's a wonderful husband and father. Uh, He's just, you know, he's just got an ego that's at a different level than anyone you and I are ever likely to meet. But you know, he charmed some of the smartest investors in the world. And by the way, Silicon Valley, that's a hotbed for psychopaths. They're, they're very attracted to the whole entrepreneurial culture. Fake it till you make it. That's right up a psychopath's alley, right? Absolutely. I was going to say, how common is it? So you're saying it's really common in Silicon Valley. Is it, is it common generally to have psychopathic CEOs? Yeah. And forgive me, I'm, I'm guessing most of your audience is from your country. And, but, you know, I, I know American data a little bit better. Um, but by one study, 21 percent of CEOs are psychopaths. 21 percent. 21. Yeah. So to, to put it a little bit in perspective, um, the prison population in the United States, only 15 percent of them are psychopaths. <laughs> right. So if you take like a random person at a prison, or a random American CEO, it's more likely that the CEO is the psychopath than the prisoner is. So it's a scary thing. And I did a survey on LinkedIn asking CFOs how many think that they've worked for a psychopath. And 70% of them said that they did or they're, or they're almost certain that they did. 
And it was like only like 18% said that they had no reason to think that they've ever worked for a psychopath. So you think about it, if, if say one out of five CEOs is a psychopath, and if you're a CFO and you have six jobs during the course of your career, there's a real good chance you're going to work for at least one, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, to go six for six when, you know, one in five. Yeah, there are people who are going to do it, but uh, you have to kind of get a little bit lucky. You're defying the odds if you didn't. Uh, And again, that's, you know, assuming that you have five, six jobs over the course of your career, which is, you know, fairly typical these days. So, in fact, it might even be a little bit on the low side. So. Absolutely. And and I I guess what is it what is it like to work for it? a psychopathic CEO as a CFO, what are the sort of telltale signs that you will see or things that you should be going, yeah, oh, that's not good? They have um, a lot of um, grandiosity sometimes in the way that they communicate. But again, some of the smart ones know that psychopaths are that way. And so, you know, they don't act that way. But, you know, they'll um, sort of flowery, almost overgrown language. They'll, um, they'll quote famous people. They may not even get it right, um, but, but they will to seem smarter. In fact, I don't know if you recall, I did that with you the last time I was on this podcast. I was quoting Stephen Covey from The Habits of Highly Effective People, but in my genius, I attributed it to Confucius. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you call. I, yeah, no, I friends. never caught that. I was going to say somebody yeah. openly called you on it. <laughs> but, but yeah, a couple of people at Confucius. It's from Seven Habits. You've only read the book three times. I'm like, yeah, you're right. But uh, the the quote was, "Seek first to under understand, then be understood." And for some reason, I wanted to seem smarter than I am, and I attributed it to Confucius. But the other thing say, is, have the, you recently taken a, a test on psycho? <laughs> um, yeah. I know you're kidding, but as I was researching this, I began to think, oh, my. And apparently that's actually a relatively common thing that not only for this sort of thing, but like people who are researching diabetics, diabetes or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, You know, they think, geez, I have all these symptoms. You know, you read a medical book and you sort of become self-fulfilling. But I actually gave myself what's considered, you know, the gold standard of the tests and it. 30 and over is considered a psychopath. And, you know, I, I got like an 11. So, uh, nice. which, so which is actually higher than average, but it's it's not that bad. But so, but Good to uh, know. yeah, it's, yeah. But, you know, you can probably give the test to yourself, but you can't really, you and I aren't really qualified to give it to, you know, another person because you just don't know what they're lying about or pretending to be. So, but the other thing about, you know, working for them, day one, they're sizing you up as a friend or as an opponent and it's all about how they can use you so you know if they say you're working with a psychopath who's not yet at the ceo level they're going to identify the power people within the company and they're going to build relationships with them and get information from them and basically build their tribe so um you if you realize like a little too late this person might be a psychopath you know, one of the things you got to do, geez, what did I disclose this person? Because they're going to pretend to be friends of yours and they're very good at getting you to disclose maybe some personal information. Uh, and, and I'll give you an example. One of my members told me this and he unfortunately figured out after the fact, but his um, I think it was his son had cancer and um, he told his boss, who he later found out was a psychopath, 
um, that, you know, he was struggling and it, it didn't affect his job performance, just, you know, two people going out for a beer and sort of opening up a little bit. Psychopath put that in the bank. And then when the CFO was sort of putting things together that something's not quite right here, he went to the board and he pretended to be concerned about the CFO and said, hey, I don't know if you guys know this, but Mike's son has cancer. It's really weighing on him. I think we need to, you know, just make sure he can do his jobs, just take care of him and be flexible, acting like who he's concerned with them. And so now the board, all of a sudden, the whole board realizes that, that he had, you know, had, had a family member with cancer. And then as he got more of a threat, he just called the board and said, look, I think for Mike's own good, we need to fire him. He needs to take care of his family. We're going to give him a nice six month severance package. Let him focus on the family and get on. Boom. From the psychopath standpoint, problem solved. Right. Board was none the wiser. But, you know, that's the way they're thinking. If you tell them stuff, they're going to start using it. They're storing it forever and they're going to use it against you. And like if all of a sudden you realize, hey, this guy's a psychopath. You've got some an interesting challenge because you're you're in a war with somebody that might have started two and a half, three years before you, depending on how long the working relationship is. So and because they're superficially charming and not everybody can see through it, they've got a lot of people turned against you already. You know, they they sort of they want to win the battle before it's even fought. Raise your game with Sage Intact. Bring down your close time by up to 79%. Use agile real-time reporting for instant visibility. Land an average ROI of 250%. With the heavyweight cloud software rated number one for customer satisfaction. Finance that packs a punch. Find out more from ITAS, the UK Sage Intact Partner of the Year at itassolutions.co.uk. Absolutely. I think that's the hard thing, isn't it? Is that it's not necessarily easy to identify and recognize. There are signs, but it's it's not always obvious. And and I guess, you know, trying to trying to fix what you've told them, I guess is it is a challenge. So if somebody does work for one, what can they do to protect themselves? Yeah, I mean, again, in my book I actually interviewed one and he thought the problem was he he found the question offensive to the extent he, he can be offended, but he's like, okay, so what does someone have to do to protect themselves from you? I'm not inherently dangerous. Although, you know, I think the guy kind of is, but you know, there's the main thing. One, um, document everything really well. So, you know, any odd behavior, anything else like that, um, you know, just document it. And by the way, document it outside of work. Um, this actually the same guy I spoke to, he told me it, it, it for him, it's just very easy to manipulate people. He was with the company six months and he he persuaded an IT guy to give him access to the CEO and the VP of HR's um, email. He just persuaded him to do it. He said he just befriended. He said it, he, he tends to seek out like kind of nerdy people or loners or quiet people. And he makes them part of his tribe. And he said, look, I can't tell you what's going on, but there's an issue with CEO and the VP of HR. And I unfortunately need access to their emails. You're the only one I can trust. Can you help me? And he was like a he wasn't like an executive level person when he did this. He was mid-level. That's the quality of the opponent you're fighting, right? So you start documenting things on your computer. Might be reading it. 
you know, it's crazy, right? But, uh, but yeah, so, you know, document everything, um, you, you know, go through sort of your mental catalog. What does this person know about me? Because there's a real good chance that, that he's going to use it against you. Um, the other thing is, you know, if you do need to challenge them at the board level, avoid the label of psychopath, even if you're pretty confident that you're right. Um, focus solely on the behavior, because, again, it's not a crime to be a psychopath. You know, it's certain actions might be criminal or inappropriate, but it's a disease. You know, it's you can't get someone fired for being obese or you know, being diabetic or whatever it might be. So focus on the actions and how they're detrimental and document them really well. And then, you know, uh, one other thing, you know, one advice I give to people, which they don't like is maybe you just don't want to fight this battle um, because you're probably going to lose. This person has probably turned a lot of people against you and you just aren't aware of it yet. And they're, they're capable of doing that. But again, the same guy, he said just occasionally he'd start a rumor to ruin a person's reputation, you know, for, for no reason. And he said, but it's an interesting thing in behavior. You, you can tell somebody something about your so-called friend and they're very quick to believe it. And it'll, it'll spread through the company like wildfire. So, you know, they're willing and able to, to destroy your reputation in the battle. And the other thing about them is, in, in the mind of a psychopath, the battle is not over until they've won. So if you're taking the, you know, you might want to ask, do I really want to be fighting this guy? Because even if you get him fired, he might keep fighting you. You know, he might, you know, he, there was one guy that told me, couldn't prove it, but he got a, um, a person that he believed to be psychopathic fired. And on the one year anniversary, uh, for three straight years, the, the anniversary date, his car was vandalized in his driveway. And like he, he lived in a no crime community, basically, you know, it was like in the, that three year period, it was the only car that was ever vandalized, always on the exact same day um, and whatnot. And the guy even like the guy's wife's car was vandalized at work. It's like, you know, th this guy was just going to get, you know, get his revenge for the rest of his life. They actually ultimately moved to a different part of the country just to escape this guy. So, so, you know, pick your battles wisely. This might be one, you might be better off, you know, looking for your next opportunity. So, so, so one of the, the challenges is that like they never give up, you know, if they feel wronged, you know, or feel like, you know, they've lost in some way, they, they will continue. Yeah. They'll continue the battle until they feel like they have emerged victorious because again, they don't care. You know, they they don't care if they ruin your reputation or your life because your only purpose in life is to serve them. If that makes sense, so it's, yeah. It's an so those are some of the thinking. yeah. It's a it's a strange way of thinking, but on the other hand, you know, some of the famous examples, if you can, you know, harness them, right? I mean, Elon Musk is a person. I actually don't believe he's a psychopath, but. You know, I've read that people do believe that he is, but, you know, what's the, he doesn't commit crimes and whatnot. You know, he, he does stupid things. He's, you know, I believe he's like smoke, smoked pot on a webcast or something like that. And, you know, he's accused people of being pedophiles for no particular reason. And, you know, he says things that a public company CEO certainly should not say. But, you know, it, given the opportunity to work for Elon Musk for a year, I'd do it. 
you know, he, he would he drives a lot of people crazy, like the turnover of his direct reports is extraordinarily high, even by, you know, the technology industry standards. But I'd work for him for a year. You know, I mean, you'd have to be pretty thick skinned. Um, but I would do it because, you know, you could learn a lot from Elon Musk in a year. Right. But, you know, and if you can get some influence with him and allow him to focus on, you know, the good genius and, you know, not to do some of the bizarre little things that, that he's been known to do. It's not the end of the world because these psychopaths, a lot of them are extremely focused, great problem solvers. And, um, you know, so if they're, if they're not breaking laws, which Musk certainly does not, you know, it's, it's not the worst thing that might happen to you. Other, you, you probably wouldn't like it, isn't it? You know, because he's known for yelling at people and, and dressing them down in front of the company and whatnot. But, you know, if you can put up with that for a short period of time, why not? Right. You can get rich and work for, you know, Tesla is maybe one of the coolest companies in the world and, you know, learn from one of the smartest people you'll ever meet. And and I think that's a really interesting point that you make is that it, it's not a, oh my gosh, they're a psychopath, don't work for them. It's it's a understand what you're dealing with there and make sure that you're you're okay and you're protected if you're gonna work in that environment and that yeah, you don't leave yourself vulnerable. I think is that is that what you're you're su- suggesting? Yeah, I'm you know, I wouldn't seek out working for a psychopath. And you, no. you know, maybe if you find one, you should run, but um but in the right situation, it doesn't have to be the equivalent of a corporate death sentence. You know, you yeah. can, you know, if, if it's Harvey Weinstein, I don't think any CFO was going to stop him from behaving that way. Elizabeth Holmes, you know, there was just kind of core something fundamentally missing. But, you know, Steve Jobs, you can work with the oddities, uh, you know, if you can maybe coach him a little bit about, you um, you know, not, uh, you, you know, not going on a sponsor call and, you know, calling out your board members and that type of stuff. Um, you know, maybe it's a workable situation for you. The fact is, you know, that a lot of people did report directly to Steve Jobs for years and it was a productive relationship. But a lot of them, they work in um, they want money and power, but they don't want fame necessarily. So most psychopaths actually don't work for well-known companies because they, they don't want the attention. They don't want the scrutiny. They just want the money and, and, and the power that goes with it. And like, in fact, the, the one I interviewed, he has a particular business model, I guess, that he follows. He's done it three times, but he will go for a large family-owned business. And he's, he was very specific so he's like the the founder has retired a while ago and the founder's son is is now running the company. But that person is probably, you know, maybe nearing the age of retirement. And that person has a son. He, he said, not a daughter. It doesn't work. He said that person might have a son who's who's going to run the is going to run the business in the next generation. But he's a complete screw up. And that's the job he goes for. He'll actually basically go to the father who's now the president. And he's actually done this a couple of times successfully. He'll say, look, it's you want to retire, but you can't because you don't fully trust your son. Am I correct? Like, I'm a good CEO. Why don't you just take a seat on the board? You can spend most of your time golfing and doing other things. I'll run the company and I'll be a mentor to your son for the next two or three years. And I'll teach him the ropes. He said, father-son dynamics, he's not going to listen to you, but he's going to listen to me because I'm not because I'm not his dad. And I'm going to help him be a successful leader and you can go and golf. And and he does this time and time again. 
And he basically, he's so charming and persuasive that he basically gives the, the CEO who's so concerned about, you know, the business and the family legacy, he, he actually persuades the guy to retire and leave him to run the company and mentor his son, right? But they're so charming and they seem so sincere that they're able to, to get away with that type of thing. And that's how he makes his living now. He'll, he'll like target companies like that and go in and make a ton of money for himself for a couple of years. He's, he's like a cyclone, uh, you know, doing his damage, you know, in a trailer park. And, um, you know, then he moves on after a few years. He's made his money. He's done his damage. He's had his fun. Time to move on. But he, he doesn't seek fame. He just seeks power and money. Whereas a, someone who's narcissistic seeks, you know, they want to be famous along the way. Wow. And, and I think there's an interesting piece there. How aware are most psychopaths that they are a psychopath? Yeah, they, they seem to be uh, aware at a young age that there's something a little bit different about them. They ne don't necessarily put a label to it. And but the ones who are like CEOs, they're they're kind of aware that they're psychopaths. They don't necessarily care. Um, and again, you know, the, the one that I interviewed extensively, he viewed it as a positive, not as a negative, because he called me some dirty words along the way, which I don't think you want me to repeat. But, um, you know, we we're talking a scenario where let's say, you know, it's a scenario that you're run by. Let's say you're the president of a company and you've got a, a plant in a, you know, old school town, you know, one of those old school mill towns. It, it's just not productive anymore. And it's, it's probably time to close it. But on the other hand, you know, it's one of those towns, 20% of the people work at this one plant. So if you close the plant down, you're going to devastate the entire community, not just the workers, right? You could probably cut that down. I could probably cut it down. But we would probably look for months to find an alternative and spend money retraining people and, and not do a lot of damage, right? Not this guy. He's like, if I'm going to cut it, I'm just going to cut it. Boom, mercilessly. No severance or, you know, minimum severance. But he views me as weak or he'd view someone like you as weak because we want to sort of do the right thing by the community and our employers. He doesn't care if if this plant, you know, if I can close the plant and get, you know, better value in China or Mexico or wherever. Why would I keep it open one more day? What do I care about this community? What are they doing for me? Do they care about me? No. So why should I care about them? But it does actually give them an advantage, which is why so many of them you know, why there are so many CEOs are psychopathic, because kind of that remorselessness, that ability to focus and make quick and emotional decisions. It's actually not a bad quality in a CEO when you think about it. Right. So when you think about what the shareholders want from a company, it's mm -hmm. yeah, 100 percent. I can see why there are so it's such a, a common trait. Because, you know, obviously, so many are driven by the need to make decisions. And I think, I guess most normal people would struggle to sleep at night after they'd done that too many times. Yeah. I mean, I've had layoffs that I did years ago in my CFO career, and I'm going back like 15 years, and it still kind of bugs me that I did it. I mean, I, it had to be done. And if I'd somehow refused, I would have been fired and, you know, somebody a little, you know, different than me would, would have executed it. But, um, yeah, it's uh it's a crazy thing, but it's interesting because I interviewed a, uh, a VC investor in what they're looking for in a CEO and, you know, without realizing it, he didn't know why I was writing the book and, but without realizing it, he described a psychopath. 
He just, I just want someone who can make quick decisions, doesn't get emotional about it. And in fact, like there's one CEO, he met him playing pickup basketball. And they, uh, he and another guy went up for a rebound. They were fighting over the rebound. And he actually punched the guy in the face. And the, the VC said, I knew right away this is the guy I wanted on my team. And like he used, he used a phrase, I think he said, um, this guy would punch his grandmother in the nose to make a dollar. But he said it as though it's a compliment. <laughs> as as if it's a good thing. Yeah, but he definitely, you know, he he just didn't care as long as he could, um, you know, direct the decisions and make difficult decisions and, and whatnot. But again, you know, I have a lot of friends in Silicon Valley and the, the world is certainly a better place because of all the innovation that has come out of there. But, you know, when a culture, when they encourage fake it till you make it, um, it's going to attract those types of things. And the other thing is they like chaos because they can kind of hide in chaos. They don't want to do any actual work. And, you know, if a fast growing chaotic environment, they can kind of hide and do their behind the scenes manipulation and they don't have any actual responsibilities. So it will be interesting. It would be fascinating to take that same survey in 10 years time to know if it's the same prevalence within the CEO community or whether it changes um, it'd be interesting to see whether the shift that's happening at the moment in terms of philanthropy that's coming through at a, you know, at a corporate level, whether that actually impacts on the types of individuals that actually get seen um, as successful. So that's that's a really interesting piece. Um, yeah, so and it, 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 it will definitely be because they view a lot of things that you and I might view as strengths as weaknesses. You know, like if you care for your employees, that's to a psychopath. That's a weakness I can exploit. I can't get to Hannah, but you know, she really likes her team. Maybe I can make her team miserable and get to her that way. Uh, that's kind of how they think, you know, that, um, so, you know, it's interesting if you have sort of this nice, uh, philanthropic bent, that's, that's something to exploit a little bit. Uh, if you have a strict moral code, how can I use that against you? So. And that's fascinating because a recent podcast we did, there's actually studies that show that those that invest and have good employee well-being and good culture around employees are actually more successful in terms of revenue and profitability. So it will be interesting to see if that sh- – and is there any research about the, um, the profitability of organizations that are actually run by um, psychopaths? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because they're actually really good at getting CEO jobs, but they're not good at doing CEO jobs. Um, as you and I would define it, but, you know, do keep in mind, like one of the traits of a psychopath is a thrill seeker, which means they're going to get bored in a job in a couple of years, probably. And so they're not actually looking to build long-term value for the business the way, you know, you and I might want to. They're looking to, you know, maximize, you know, their own uh, benefits over, over two or three years. And if they can make a truckload of money in a two or three period and leave the company in shambles, they don't care. But to them, that's that's, you know, a good two or three years of being, uh, you know, spending time well. And another thing, like a lot of them, um, you know, will they're capable of faking normal lives. Like a, a lot of them don't have any desire to get married. And again, the same guy I interviewed, he uh, he realized that having an attractive wife was actually helpful as he climbed the corporate ladder. So he actually married someone. Just basically, she was a tool in, in his corporate pursuits. You know, she 
she brought him. But he spoke about it. He he didn't like her, love her, or hate her. She was just somebody that he needed. Basically, she was a prop. But like he spoke about her so coldly, and like he, you know, after a few years, he decided he didn't like being married, so he just divorced her. And you know, he sort of played this character, and she she genuinely loved him, even though you know he's just that good an actor that he hit it. But you know, he referred to the fact like he. It, nothing they do is ever their fault, and it's the other person always benefits. So we referred to the fact, well, you know, she lived in a big house that she couldn't afford. I made that happen. As a girl, she dreamt of a big wedding. I made that happen. And then he, he even, like, talked about, like, um, alimony after he was paid, but he referred to it as a pension, like you're paying a former employee some money. And he actually, like, ran the numbers of how much money she made from having been married to him for a few years and thought that you know, that she made out pretty well. And in, in his mind, for, she did, I guess, right? But, you, you know, he didn't consider the fact that she was heartbroken, that her life was ruined and, and all those other factors that, that can happen. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what you're dealing with. Everything is a prop to help them get ahead. And to to help them get their aims. So this has been genuinely fascinating. And I can and from those stats, there's, I'm pretty sure that a lot of um, our listeners would have had at least one boss that might be considered psychopathic. So what are your top tips? So for anyone that is in that situation um, or perhaps wanting to avoid that situation, what are the sort of the top tips that you can suggest to them? You know, and how can they survive it? Like you said, you know, in, in terms of you know, avoiding that individual or avoiding, you know, getting damaged by the individual. Yeah. What makes them so formidable, Hannah, is it, it is tough to avoid them because again, everything's a game. Like a lot of people say, well, what about a personality test? And those don't work. And they're, they're even less effective right now because they're going to fake answers to a personality test and they know what it's like to, um, they'll just blend in. They don't have an actual personality themselves. So it's not unlike playing a character to fit in. But when you think about it, like your company, which I know you love where you work, right? And you've told me so a couple of times. But like if if someone wants to go and get a job there, they can just go to your website, you know, the, probably look at the jobs, what they're looking for, the type of people that they're playing, that they pay. They can maybe read your code of ethics. Maybe you have an employee of the month so that they can figure out what it is that the company values and its employees. This is all information for them, not unlike an actor studying to play a role. They're learning about your company and they're playing the role. And they're just going to plain lie on something like a personality test. Um, you, you know, say you and I are going for the same job and we're equally qualified and they kind of like us both about the same and they, they do a personality test. You give your honest answers, but I've done all these things. I've studied the corporate culture. I, you know, I know what they value in employees. I know what they need, and I'm willing to lie to the answers on the question. Who's going to get picked, right? You, you know, the, yeah, the dishonest person. So conventional tools don't really work. A lot can be done in the due diligence type of phase. Uh, they don't mind lying on interviews to get jobs. And again, part of the reason that hap that Silicon Valley is attractive is they're not really big on process the way a lot of companies are. So, you know, the, the HR people are more worried about, you know, we want to be the cool place to work in town. You know, we want to, you know, we want to have 
our espresso machines or, you know, whatever it is to, to track the young people. But they're not big on compliance. And, you know, if you're an HR person or a CFO, you know what, actually do the background checks. Um, you know, not only the references that they give, but the references that they don't give. OK, this person worked there. Um, you know, who do we know that worked there that's not on his reference page? Find out a little bit about that person. Do the homework in advance. Unfortunately, because Silicon Valley and entrepreneurial culture generally is so focused on growth and getting things done quickly, they neglect a lot of these things. And it, it creates an opportunity for a badly minded person. And even um, like the one guy, he never graduated from college. And um, he, he did go to college, and but he just, he just didn't graduate. But he's like, yeah, you know, he put it, look, if these idiots aren't going to call the school and check, you know, why is that my fault? If you're not going to be smart enough to check my references, shame on you, you know. And he even said, like, one thing he said, I asked him if he'd ever committed crimes and he didn't answer. Um, you know, he sort of asked me, well, do you, do you drive over the speed limit and that type of thing? But then he later said, look, if, if a human resources person's stupid enough to use the word password as their password, let's not have any sympathy for them. So, you know, I'm guessing he's actually, you know, probably getting access to people's email while he's a candidate. You know, he's just guessing what their password might be. And it even got to the point, like, you know, if you ask, what's your kid's birthday? A, a lot of people use their children's birthdays for their password, as it turns out. So... He's aware of that. And what the heck? I'll take a guess. You know, maybe, you know, I won't get right every time, but once in a while I, I can get access to some great information. So but but yeah, the, the main thing is, you know, document everything. So I didn't really answer the original question, um, you know, get people involved early, but recognize that they may have been turned against you a little bit. So, you know, sometimes your best bet is to go to the, the company's council. Um, as opposed to the board, because, you know, maybe they're the most objective, but do keep in mind their loyalty, at least in the United States, is to the company, not to you. And they are the companies, uh, the company is their client, not the individuals who work at the company. So if they have to pick between their client and you, even if they kind of like you, they're going to side with the client. Um, depending upon how deep this is going, you probably might want to get your own attorney. And, you know, just it can get really ugly in a hurry with these people. So. Uh, and, you know, there is kind of an element of, you know, he may have poisoned the well against you a little bit. So just be careful of that. Don't trust anyone because it's going to get back to him. There's a good chance. Wow. So that's brilliant tips, though. So document everything. Um, be careful who you talk to. Be aware that they might be being manipulated. Um, and, yeah, make sure that you get some outside guidance if you think you're in any way vulnerable at all. Yeah. And, you know, think like a psychopath. Because, you know, they're going to think in their own mind, it's perfectly rational. What is the best move for me to make that benefits me the most? So that's, you know, try to put yourself in that position. You know, you know, can you appeal to this person's sense of fairness and decency? No, you can't. You know, you, they may pretend that they, they care and that they're decent, but they really don't. So, you know, try to think, you know, learn what you can about psychopaths if you're working for one and just sort of assess the thing is, but, you know, maybe the thing is don't have this battle, you know, depending upon how entrenched is, you know, because I, again, the same guy, he, he said, you, you can't, I can't lose. I, the board is in my pocket. I've got people who are spying on you. Your own team has been turned against me, that type of thing. 
has been turned against you. They're loyal to me, not to you. Um, you're going to be fighting a very lonely battle against an opponent that's been gearing up to, for it for two years. Good luck. You know, so you, you really may not want to fight the battle. You know, obviously you have some loyalty to the people that hired you, but, you know, you've got to take care of yourself and your family too. So, Absolutely. So pick your battles as well is a great tip to finish on. Indeed, um, yeah. so, so if people want to read more about your book, when is it out? When, where can they find it? What's the, the best way to, um, to have a look and to find out more about the psychopathic CFO? CEO, sure. I should say. Yeah, <laughs> not they're, CFO. they're no psychopathic CFOs. We both know that. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Absolutely not. Probably one or two. But yeah, I'm actually I'm self-publishing, so it'll be available on Amazon sometime around June. And you know, the, the beautiful thing about self-publishing is, um, you know, you can kind of release it on your own schedule, right? When you think it's ready to go, you can go. But the drawback is, you know, maybe it's good to have an editor saying, giving you a deadline that you have to have to meet it by. But, uh, you know, I want it to be good. And it's one of those things because I don't have a medical background. I've actually learned more since I started writing the book than I knew before I started writing the book. So every week I'll read a magazine article that'll change my perspective a little bit and whatnot. And I kind of want to include it in the book because I think it's important and will be helpful to executives who are facing this problem. But I think June's a good time frame. Absolutely. So a nice, uh, I won't say, uh, I'm not sure how many people will be sitting on a beach this year, but uh, definitely a good summer read. So thank you so much, Jack, for coming on the show. It's been fabulous as always to have you on. And yes, um, I uh, I look forward to reading, reading the book in June. Wonderful. Thanks, Anna. Great to see you. And for our listeners, I just want to say thank you again. Um, and if you have, um, if you've read any great books recently and you have any great topics that you want to share, please do reach out. Um, all the details are on the show notes and we will put the link to Jack's profile, um, and the book when it's released into the show notes. So thank you again, Jack. And uh, yeah, take care of yourselves, guys. Um, and avoid those psychopathic CEOs. <laughs>